Good morning. That was loud. It is a great Sunday for you to be with us, and I am glad that you can join us. We've been going from Memorial Day to Labor Day in what we're calling the Gospel of God. It's Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 7 has been debated by, by, by believers back and forth, and what is Paul talking about? Who is Paul talking about? Well, the what, the what, the what is as plain as the nose on your face. The what is pretty easy. The what the, is that he's talking about is, is the law. The law, the law, the law, the law, 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 law. If you were a circler, if you're a word circler in your journal, we've given out 900 of these. We ordered 50 more. If you don't have one, pick one up today. They're in the foyer. We're not going to order it. Well, we may order more if you go take through them all today. But uh, get one today if you haven't got it. This is what we're using. So if you were a circler, last week I told you to circle life and death in chapter 6. If you were to circle law, you'd be, he'd run out of ink in chapter 7. He, he uses the word law 21 times. Law, 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 law. So it's plain on your face. What's he talking about? He's talking about the law. So maybe the question really is, well, what's he saying about the law? Well, it's pretty simple. It's in verse 7. It says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin. And then he uses the word, the Greek word that I taught you last week. Is the law sin? Meganoita. Are you kidding me? No way! Or the J.B. Phillips translation. Oh, what a ghastly thought. What then is the law? Paul saying, no, no, no. Of course the law is not sin. The law was given by a holy, holy, holy God. God Almighty, the same God, same yesterday, today, and forever. The, 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 the law was given by a holy God. The law is not sin. Of course not. We gotta take a step back to really understand where Paul is coming from. Uh, All the way back, all the way back, history lesson, Exodus story, remember the Exodus story. The people of Israel were in Egypt. Pharaoh, who considered himself to be divine, he was was no more divine than that piano. Uh, He considered himself to be divine, and so he, he didn't know about Joseph, he didn't know about Joseph's heroics, and so he enslaved the people. He had them working in his literal, literal pyramid scheme, working building bricks in the brickyard. And the, the children of Israel called out to God, cried out to God, because they were repressed and it was awful, 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 and they cried out to God. And God heard their prayers. And on the backside of Mount Horeb, he called a guy named Moses through a burning bush of all things. And God said this to to Moses in Exodus 3, I have surely seen the afflictions of the people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out to the land, to to the land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Woohoo! And God proceeded to do that through signs and wonders, showing that that the Egyptian gods were no gods at all, they were phony gods, and that He was God Almighty. And He took this ragtag group of nobodies. Not because they were special, not because they were smarter, not because they were larger, just because God had chosen them. He took that ragtag group of nobodies and he led them out of that place of Egypt, across the Red Sea on dry ground, led them through the wilderness, provided them manna from heaven and quails to eat. Their Nikes didn't even wear out. He was with them the entire time, led them to the promised land. And they get to a place called Sinai and God gives them them, 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 the law, and they just, they have this, this, this wonderful covenant relationship 
where God says, listen, I have rescued you, I have redeemed you, I have delivered you. I have chosen you. Not because you're smartest, not because you're biggest, not because you're best. I have chosen you because you're my people. And they said to God in response, yes, we're your people. You delivered us from Egypt. Yes, 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 we're your people. We want to be your people. And so as a way to express their thankfulness, express their joy that God had rescued them and that, they're, that they were in this covenant relationship with God, they expressed it in two ways. The first way was uh, through, through rituals, uh, ceremonies, feasts, ta- the, the Pentecost, and, and, and the Feast of the Tabernacles, and the Passover. They celebrated that through, through things like the sacrifices. So they celebrated it through those special occasions, those gatherings, when they could, as a people, gather and worship and express their gratitude to God Almighty. And the other way they expressed that was through their lifestyle choices, as given by God to them through the Torah, through the law, through the Ten Commandments. And so they had these festivals where they celebrated and worshiped God, and they had their daily lifestyle choices to express their gratitude to a holy God. And the people were so excited to do that. Why? Because God had rescued them. God had delivered them. They were, the, they were, he, they were his people. He was their God. It was awesome. But here comes the rub. The next generation and the generation after that, they, they didn't remember how bad it was back in Egypt. And it wasn't their backs that were whipped by the Egyptian taskmasters. And it wasn't their hands that made those bricks that built those pyramids. And they didn't didn't cross over the Red Sea. It wasn't them that crossed over. It was their grandparents. And they they didn't eat manna in the wilderness. And those rituals, those ceremonies, that law that was so meaningful became just that. It was just routine. It didn't describe the relationship that God is their people and they, they were, they, or God was their God and they were his people. It didn't describe that. No, it was just routine. They were going through the motions. It's just what it was. That's what happened. That's what you did. It was more culture than relationship. It was more, more, more it was dead. And the people as such, prophet after prophet came said man you got to get back god is the one who redeemed you he's the one that rescued you he's the one that loves you and cares for you he wants to be your god you got to be his people and they kept growing more and more distant and soon those lifestyle choices even then following the rituals started to give way and eventually 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 you know the story following solomon the nation split into two israel to the north judah to the south Israel continued to defy God, defy God, defy God, break those rituals, break those, those expressions of God's holiness, and eventually God allowed the Assyrians, A, the Assyrians to defeat them, the, the nation to the south, Judah, same thing, basically, going against God, going against God, going against God, eventually B, the Babylonians, A, the Assyrians defeated the north, B, the Babylonians defeated the, the nation to the south, and C, eventually, and the best and the brightest were carted off to Babylon, and then a C, Syrian, uh, uh, Cyrus the Persian comes along, and he lets them go back to Jerusalem. But when they got back to Jerusalem, it wasn't the same. The city was in ruins. It was full of, of destroyed buildings. 
there was a lot of mixed religions going on, mixed races going on. It wasn't the same. And so how do you define? The question then became, who's an Israelite? Who's a true Israelite? And the answer was, well, it's the one who keeps the law. Remember the law? It's the one who keeps the law. That's who it is. It wasn't about relationship. It wasn't about, about, about a, a, a covenant people and God. The one who keeps the law. Okay, fast forward to Paul. He grew up in that system. That's what, all he knew. If you want to be... be be, be a person, you just follow the law, that's what you do, you go through the steps, you follow the law, you do what you have to do, you have to, you have to follow the law. And Paul in Philippians tells us that he followed it really well. In Philippians chapter three, he writes this, you know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of, of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. Nobody followed the law better than Saul of Tarsus. He was at the top of the class. He followed it to a T. He tried, he tried, he tried, and guess what he discovered? It does not work. He concludes in chapter seven, what a wretched man am I, I'm getting ahead of myself. In verse 12, he says this. So the law, remember the law given by a holy, holy, holy God. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law in the problem, in other words. The problem isn't the law, the problem is sin. Sin is a problem. Sin keeps me from following the law. I tried, I tried, I tried. Paul is saying, I did everything I could. I tried, and it didn't work. Why? Because of sin. Sin is the problem. Pastor, don't you think we know that? We're seven weeks into this sermon series. Every week you quote Romans 3, 23, for all sin fallen short of the glory of God. Don't you think we know that by now? You know, last week you quoted Romans 6, 23, you know, the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal. We know sin is a problem. Sin is a problem. Sin is a problem. <sighs> Do we know it? Do we really, really know it? I'm talking, if you're, new, if you're new to the church, if this is your first Sunday here, if this is your first Sunday joining us, watching us, if you're new to our church, just stay with me. I'm not talking to you for a second, just for a second. Um, so stay with me. Paul grew, up, Paul grew up in that system, right? System of laws. You obey the law, you obey the law, you obey the law. That's the system, you follow, follow the law. I grew up in a system too. It's called the Church of the Nazarene. We followed the law. The manual was what we called it. You know, you don't smoke, don't you? You don't go out with the girls to do. My dad was first generation. I told you my dad's story. You know my dad's story. He's a drunk. He found Jesus, first generation, Nazarene. Me and my siblings, second generation, Nazarenes. My boys, third generation, Nazarenes. If they ever get busy and have grandkids, hint, 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 if you're watching in Kansas. <laughs> you know, eventually, hopefully, the plan, Carla, when are we going to get grandkids? If they attended the Nazarene church, they'd be fourth generation Nazarenes. Here's the problem. What happened to Paul? 
could happen to us. See, what I've noticed is there's this downward spiral from godliness to godlessness. It happened. It happened with that first generation, right? They came in. They were all on fire. God was their people. God was their God. They were his people. He gave them the rituals and the, and the, and the, and the holy book, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, and, and they were on fire. Yeah, we're going to follow it. Yeah, we're going to do it. And a couple of generations later, nothing. You, you, there's plenty of examples in the Bible of this. You can see it over and over and over again, this downward spiral from generation to generation to generation. David, 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 right? A man after God's own heart, David. David wrote this, he said, said, as a thirsty deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for God. David, this man after God's own heart, he wanted to serve God, he wanted to be with God, he wanted to walk with God, he wanted everything about God, he just wanted to focus on God. You see it in his life over and over again, I want to be God's man. David reminds me of a, of a brand new baby Christian. Have you ever been around a brand new baby Christian? They find Jesus, and man, they're on fire for Jesus. They just love Jesus. They don't, they don't know theology. They don't know if they're a premillennialist, postmillennialist, amillennialist. They can't even spell it. They don't care. They just love Jesus. And they haven't gotten into, you know, politics of the church. They don't hate anybody. They just love Jesus. And I'm preaching, if they don't have like a journal like this, I'm preaching through, I say the book is in, you know, we're studying in Isaiah. By the time they find Isaiah, I'm all the way to Revelation. They don't, they can't find it. But they don't care why. They just love Jesus. And they're just so happy for what Jesus has done in their life. That's all they care about. They just love Jesus. That's how I feel David was. David, if there's a word to describe David, it would be priorities. He had his priorities right. When he had a son, Solomon. Solomon wrote, Solomon wrote, you know, the, the book of Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. Solomon, wisest guy, Right? Solomon, who grew up in the, the palace, had everything he wanted. If, if priorities describe David, I don't know, pleasure describes Solomon. All he wanted was more. He just wanted more, 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 more. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the first 11 verses, written by Solomon. There's 42 personal pronouns in those 11 verses. I want this, I did that, I want this, this could be mine, I want that, that's that. Downward spiral. Solomon had a son, Rehoboam. If, if David could be characterized by priorities and Solomon by pleasure, Rehoboam, I don't know the word, pick a P word, I'm alliterating now, I don't know, perplexed. He was the most mixed up guy probably ever to sit on the throne of, of Israel. He was a mess. Why was he such a mess? In part, because he heard what his daddy said, Solomon. He heard what he wrote, but he wasn't living that same life. By the end of Solomon's life, he was a mess. There's this downward spiral. It happens, it happens. He went, Abraham, Abraham, we looked at Abraham in chapter four. Abraham, a man of faith, right? was righteous by, not by works, but by faith. Abraham, if Abraham lived right, he could be characterized by the word, he lived right, he followed after God, he lived right. Abraham had a son, Isaac. If Abraham lived right, Isaac looked right. There's a big difference between Abraham and Isaac. You wanna know what it is? Whenever Abraham got to a place, the very first thing he did, the very first thing he did, remember he went from Ur to Canaan, the very first thing he did, build an altar. And then he dug a well. 
Isaac, first thing he did when he got to a new place, he dug the well. And then he built an altar. So if Abraham lived right and Isaac looked right, Jacob, Isaac's son, he would be, he'd be asking the question, what's right? I don't know, what's right? And Jacob, if you know your Old Testament, you know Jacob was... He's a flounder. He was messing up all the time. That's messing, messing up. What's happening? This downward spiral. One more example. How about Joshua? Joshua was the what, right, strong and courageous. Joshua led the people into the into the promised land. Joshua, man after God's own heart. Joshua, strong, strong, strong. Two generations later, just two generations later, the Bible says this: They did not know the Lord. They did not know the works of the Lord. This downward spiral. I'm worried. We're a hundred-year-old church. 101, who's counting? <laughs> we got, we got, our, we got our, our 100th anniversary party coming up, celebration, November 19th through 21st. Mark it on your calendar. The 19th, Friday night, Collinsworth concert. The, the 20th, Saturday morning, brunch with former pastors and people. The 21st, big celebration, Dr. Busick, general superintendent. Woo-hoo, 100 years. I don't want this downward spiral to happen. You can look around. I'm not going to pick on other denominations, but you can look around. You can see it. Listen, this does not have to happen, though. We got a great example. We got more than one example here. Dr. Anthony and Marilyn Anthony, I don't know where they're sitting. Dr. Marilyn Anthony, they were saved. Doc had a great job with, with... with Michigan Bell, you know his story. God called him into ministry. He was already, he was already, you know, on the track, moving up the ladder. And God, God called him to Bible college. And he went to Bible college. He was obedient. Pastored a couple churches. God called him to be district superintendent. Served in that role. Now, you know, he's been our senior adult pastor. They were on fire. Nobody's more on fire for Jesus than Doc and Marilyn Anthony. They have two daughters, Sherry and Cindy. Sherry lives in Adrian. Cindy's here. Cindy, she's on our church board. Both of those girls are, are, are trustees at Olivet. Next week is our Olivet Sunday. President, new president of Olivet, Greg Chenoweth, who grew up here, is going to be with us bringing greetings. They're both on, they, they're still, they're on fire for the Lord. They have, they're the next generation, generation three, they're mostly still on school. But grandson Tyler, who's married to our children's pastor's daughter, Hannah, they're youth pastoring down in Texas. This week they were taking their youth group to, to youth camp. The, the, the bus broke down. Welcome to youth ministry, Tyler. <laughs> First but not the last. You know, their granddaughter Haley, she's going to be a counselor at Kids Camp this week. Their granddaughter Sophie, she's going to be at Kids Camp this week. Their grandson Eric, he's a fine young boy. What am I telling you? It doesn't have to be that downward spiral. Up here singing right here was Joel and Erica Close, Joel's grandpa. Some of you know him. Faye and Lila Close served Jesus, loved Jesus. Ralph and Jan Close, Joel's parents, served some of the finest Christians I know. We see Joel and his brothers, Steve and Mike and Aaron. Almost forgot. And his daughter, it doesn't have to be that way. And so I guess I'm talking to, I'm talking to you, folks like me, second generation, maybe third generation. 
We got to be on fire for Jesus. If we want our kids and our grandkids to know Jesus, it means we got to be on fire for Jesus. See, the old rituals, it doesn't where you're not. If you're a general superintendent watching right now, please turn off and go to another church. (laughs) You will not get to heaven by following the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. You will not get to heaven by reading your Bible every single solitary day. The story is told that, that, that Khrushchev had memorized the New Testament. You will not get the Bible, you will not get to heaven by putting in 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, 100% of your offering in the offering plate. You wanna know how you get to heaven? It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. Your only hope is Jesus. Rituals don't do it. Religion doesn't do it. It needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has to be in your life. And if you're not on fire for Jesus, guess what? Your kids can see it. You can't fool them. You can't trick them. They see right through it. If you say one thing on Sunday and live another way on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, guess what? They got six days of garbage and only one day of not garbage. They can see right through it. And so it means looking in the mirror and saying, what kind of person, who am I? That's exactly what Paul does in Romans 7. He's looking in the mirror. He's, he's seeing this, this old way, the, the laws, the rituals, it didn't work. It's not because it was messed up. It's because sin messed it up. I messed it up. So I told you they asked two big questions in Romans 7. One is, is what are we talking about? Law, 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 and Paul's inability to keep the law. And the second big question is, who? Who are we talking about here? Because that's the big debate. Paul uses personal pronoun I, and so clearly he's talking about himself. The question is, where in Paul's journey is he talking about? Is, he, is, is chapter seven his pre-Christian journey, or is it, after he met Jesus on the Damascus Road journey. What is the I, where is the I referring to? Before I know Jesus, after I know Jesus. And so that's the, the, the big, 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 big debate, you know, and so you look at, look at ch- verse 15. Are you there? It's on page, I don't know what page, page 31, 32. For I do not know my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do everything I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, is, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So who's Paul talking about? Before Jesus? After Jesus? That's the big, that's the big question. Last week, if you were here, you know, I used the illustration at the end of the sermon about the, the 54 signers of the Declaration of Independence. And chapter six ends by saying, you know, we need to yield to Christ. I said, we need to sign a declaration of dependence on Jesus, that we need to depend on Jesus. And Jesus is our hope. And that's where we ended last week. Well, if, if last week's illustration was the Revolutionary War, this week's uh, uh, illustration, it's the Civil War going on within Paul. 
And so what's he talking about? Before, Christ, before Jesus, after Jesus. I think, this is, this is Rob Prince, I think it can only be before Jesus. Because he says, he says, there's nothing good in me. When you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, do you know what happens? You get all of Jesus. You don't get some of Jesus, you don't get part of Jesus, you don't get a little bit of Jesus and more later. You don't, no, no, you get all of Jesus. When you become a Christian, you get, oh, that doesn't mean you're perfect, that doesn't mean you, you, you don't mess up, it doesn't mean none of that. It means that Jesus comes in you and you get all of Jesus. So how could he say, there's nothing good in me? How could he say, oh, wretched man am I? No, 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 that's pre-Jesus. He's talking, this whole chapter we've taught, spent, you know, Three quarters of this sermon talking about the law and how he couldn't keep the law. It was, you know, he just couldn't do it. He tried, he tried, he tried, he tried, he tried, couldn't do it. I tried my best. I couldn't do it. All my efforts didn't work. And so now he gets into this personal pronoun and he's talking about how he doesn't do it and what a wretched man am I and there's no good in me pre-Jesus because you get to verse 25. 25 is the best verse of all. You ready? He says, wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. I've tried, I've tried the law. It doesn't work. Sin drags me into the pit every single time. Who will deliver me? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The ESV version has one exclamation point. If you're using the journal, put in about, I don't know, 10 more exclamation points. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I like the way the New Living Translation translates that verse. It says, thank God, exclamation point. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Don't you love that? Thanks be to God, the answer the answer to my problems, the answer to my issues, the answer to my sin, the answer to my jealousy, the answer to my lust, the answer to my greed, the answer to my problems, the answer is Jesus Christ, my Lord. The answer to the problems in me is Jesus. And once I get Jesus, then some of these things start washing away. And the more I say yes to Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. Before I was a wretched man, before there was nothing good in me, before I was in trouble, then I met Jesus. Can I tell you, it's the same for us. Oh, we struggle so much, we try so hard, we try to keep the rules. The rules won't get you into heaven. It's Jesus. Just Jesus. If you're tired of struggling, you can't get into heaven on your grandparents' coattails. Your grandma may have been the greatest saint in the whole wide world. She ain't getting you into heaven. It's only you and your relationship with Jesus that matters.